today's announcement has nothing to do with the president. If you say so, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, at least. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker. Muckraker and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. <clears throat> Coming up, um, given what's going on in the news today in Washington, D.C., which you may have heard about, <laughs> you may unless you live in a cave what? Did or... Did something happen today? No, no, no. Uh, but given that, uh, what is going on and uh, in D.C. and will be going on, no doubt, in the days and weeks and months and possibly years to come at this point it is not going to be easy to focus on uh, on some issues desi doyan that need to be known you mean it might prevent there, people from looking at other stuff other that's stuff, also happening well it is kind of sucking up all the oxygen in the room uh, today understandably in one sense but yeah there are important things that are going on uh that you need to know about now we spent quite a bit of time last week uh, we will talk about that, however, in a moment. But we spent quite a bit of time last week talking about the election server that was completely wiped clean by officials in the state of Georgia <clears throat> in the middle of a lawsuit, uh, wiped clean by officials that were responsible for programming every voting system in the state of Georgia. They had wiped it clean after a lawsuit was filed regarding the results of both the U.S. House special election in June in Georgia's 6th Congressional District in and near Atlanta, which had a very surprising outcome, or at least one that uh, my guest coming up suggests is nearly impossible to explain short of someone either hacking or manipulating votes in uh, vote results in some fashion. Uh, and after uh, last year's presidential election in Georgia, in both cases, we now know that the server that is used to program elections on the state's 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system and on its computer tabulators, that server had been left completely open and vulnerable online to any of uh, any of the people who could have inserted malware 
into Georgia's otherwise unverifiable elections right there on the Internet for at least six months. So um, we we have some new developments in that lawsuit. And uh, the author of the report questioning the results of Georgia's sixth congressional special U.S. House race will join us shortly here to discuss what we know and what we don't in that continuing story. All in advance, by the way, here's just one of the reasons why this is important. All in advance of municipal elections that are to be held in Atlanta next Tuesday on the very same 100% unverifiable systems that were exposed to potential manipulation via the Internet for at least six months over the past year on a server that has now been deleted for some reason in the middle of a lawsuit, along with its backups, by the way, uh, in the middle of a lawsuit regarding those elections. So uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But for now, of course, all the news out of D.C. today, uh, or at least a lot of it. There's also some other news. Uh, Donald Trump's transgender ban in the military has been blocked for now by a federal court. There's a lot of news going on. But most of it, of course, Uh, As first revealed uh, in a report by CNN late Friday night is that the first indictments have now been made public in the special counsel's investigation of Team Trump regarding their collusion, if any, with Russia in the presidential election and other crimes related to all of that. Lots of folks, uh, lots of partisans now, uh, as expected, on all sides of this thing today. Trying to spin whatever they can, uh, spin these facts uh, however they can to their advantage on all sides. I mean, really, literally all sides of this. Uh, So while there's going to be plenty of time for analysis, what it all means, what happened, what didn't, what really happened, I just want to sort of help establish the facts of what we actually know and don't at this time. Uh, After plowing through some of these grand jury and special counsel court documents that were unsealed today, and there was a lot of information there. So just trying to establish the facts, because facts seem to be easily disposed of. Is that a nice way to put it uh, (laughs) in this atmosphere? The the generous way to put (laughs) it. Yeah, people turning to what they want them to say, what they don't want them to say. All right. Here's what we know. Uh, President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was indicted on Monday on charges that he funneled millions of dollars through overseas shell companies, used the money to buy luxury cars, real estate, antiques, expensive suits and so forth. That's how The New York Times lead goes today. The charges against Manafort and his longtime associate, a guy by the name of Rick Gates, who I had never heard of before today. Uh, represent a significant escalation in the special counsel investigation that, as the Times notes, has cast a shadow over Trump's first year in office. The two men appeared in federal district court in Washington on Monday afternoon. They pled guilty. I'm sorry. They pled not guilty. They pled not guilty to all charges. Uh, Separately, one of the early uh, uh, foreign policy advisors to Trump's presidential campaign, a guy by the name of George Papadopoulos, he pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about a contact that he had with a professor tied to Kremlin officials, according to prosecutors uh, in this unsealed indictment today. 
Papadopoulos is said to be cooperating with federal investigators, so it seems that we will learn more of whatever he may know as the uh, as the probe and the indictments, etc., move forward. The indictment of Manafort and Gates makes no mention of Trump or of election meddling. Uh, instead, it describes in great detail Manafort's lobbying work in in Ukraine and what prosecutors said was a scheme to hide money from tax collectors and from the public. The authorities said that Manafort laundered more than 18 million dollars through these schemes that are described in this uh, in this indictment. He used his uh, hidden overseas wealth, according to the indictment to enjoy a lavish lifestyle in the U.S. without paying any taxes on that income. As part of the scheme, Manafort and Gates repeatedly provided false information to financial bookkeepers, to tax accountants, to legal counsel, among others, according to the indictment. Essentially, what Manafort is said to have done with the aid of his associate, Gates, is that he received millions of dollars from his work with the now-ousted Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, uh, and the party that supported him in Ukraine, both said to have been allies of Russia in the ongoing struggle for control of, of Ukraine between Russia in the East and uh, Europe and uh, U.S. allies in the West. In and of itself, as far as I can understand this indictment, Manafort's, Manafort's work was not illegal in and of itself in any way. As far as I can tell, he didn't do anything wrong there by taking this job to advise this uh, 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 Viktor Yanukovych and to work with these uh, parties that supported him. But rather than report that income that he was paid for that to U.S. authorities like the IRS, etc., Manafort kept it all in offshore bank accounts. And then... He sent money directly from those bank accounts directly to pay for things like real estate investments and expensive cars and uh, more than a million dollars in expensive clothing, men's suits. I mean, I, could, I don't even know how I could spend. I'm not sure how I could spend more than a thousand dollars in any given year but, on, uh, on yeah, men's I know, clothing. But, but stupidly, he made no effort to hide it, apparently. Well, no, he he made efforts to hide the income, what he Yeah, to hide, hide the lavish lifestyle, oh, which the lavish at some lifestyle. point somebody would say, hey, where did you get the money for that? Well, and when they started looking at it, they found that, well, where he got the money was from this work that he was doing overseas, not reporting here, and then sending that money in huge batches uh, to to pay off these <clears throat> various purchases. Uh, he is also believed to have taken out uh, or alleged to have taken out mortgages on the properties that he purchased with that overseas money and then used that money for all kinds of things in a way that ended up masking his unreported overseas income. He not only failed then to report that overseas income to federal officials. He also failed to register as a foreign agent for the work and for the lobbying that he did here in the U.S. on behalf of those Ukrainian interests, where uh, the indictments in total reveal more than $75 million throwing, uh, flowing through Manafort's offshore accounts. He's accused of laundering $18 million of it through these various schemes, 
his associate Gates allegedly knew about all of it, according to prosecutors, and uh, helped Manafort pull off this alleged fraud and money laundering. And both men, as I said, pleaded not guilty to federal to 12 federal counts described in the indictment that was unsealed on Monday. Manafort, um, he's a uh, used to be a Republican strategist. He joined the Trump campaign in March of 2016. To, uh, to help keep delegates at the Republican convention from breaking with Trump in favor of uh, establishment Republican candidates. Trump soon made him the chair and st- chief strategist of his campaign, giving him day-to-day control over operations of the actual campaign. Trump then fired Manafort just months later after reports of uh, initial reports came in that he had received millions of dollars in these undisclosed payments from Yanukovych, uh, the former Ukrainian president and and uh, another pro-Russian politician. AP reports that Manafort and Gates appeared in federal court in Washington to plead not guilty to all charges and that uh, both were released on home confinement. Manafort was freed on a $10 million bond to guarantee future court appearances. Gates' bond was $5 million, so they are now stuck here at home, uh, in in their homes, apparently, uh, confined there uh, to face these charges to keep them from fleeing. Manafort's attorney attacked the charges, saying, there, quote, there is no evidence that Mr. Manafort or the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government. And then the other charges that I mentioned um, at the at the top here, these separate charges with this man, Papadopoulos, George Papadopoulos, uh, these were also unsealed on Monday. Papadopoulos admitted that in a January interview with the FBI, he lied about his contacts with a Russian professor whom he knew to have, quote, substantial connections to Russian government officials, according to the uh, court documents. Papadopoulos told the authorities that the conversation occurred before he became an advisor to Trump's campaign when, in fact, he had met the professor days after joining the campaign. Again, so whatever it is they talked about, whatever it is they did, Papadopoulos lied about it, allegedly. Well, not allegedly. I mean, I guess he's, uh, he's he, he said, said he did he's, it. He's guilty. He yeah, pled guilty. So uh, he lied about it to federal officials, which, of course, is illegal. Um, this uh, professor apparently uh, took interest in Papadopoulos, quote, because of his status with the campaign, according to the court documents. The Trump administration has denied any collusion. No evidence has surfaced publicly to contradict uh, at least direct collusion, depending on, I guess, depends on how you uh, define collusion. Uh, here was Sarah Huckabee Sanders, White House press uh, spokesperson. What, what is she called? Press secretary. Press secretary. Thank you, press secretary, uh, claiming that the indictments today have nothing to do with Donald Trump or his campaign. Today's announcement has nothing to do with the president, has nothing to do with the president's campaign or campaign activity. But the George Papadopoulos agreement is about the campaign. Uh, It is specifically about the campaign. It has nothing to do with the activities of the campaign. It has to do with his failure to tell the truth. That doesn't have anything to do with the campaign or the campaign's activities. 
So uh, that's the separation that I guess the White House is making at this point. Uh, the court papers in the indictment to Papadopoulos uh, said that he was told about possessing about the Russians possessing dirt, quote unquote, dirt on Democrat Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands, quote, thousands of emails. That was back in April of 2016, well before it had become public that the DNC and Clinton campaign chair John Podesta, that their emails had been hacked. So he had known about it in advance of all of that. What he told the White House, or not the White House, but the Trump campaign at that point is unknown. It was not detailed uh, yet in the uh, in these indictments uh, uh, documents. Sarah Huckabee Sanders later said that Papadopoulos was not paid by the campaign, that any actions that he took would have been on his own. And that uh, the White House has had indications that Mueller's investigation would conclude soon. For his part, uh, Donald Trump tweeted that the the alleged crimes regarding Manafort, at least, were, quote, years ago and insisted that there was no collusion in all caps uh, in his tweet between his campaign and uh, and Russia. So that's kind of where we are on the facts. Everything else uh, is sort of interpretation of those facts, what it means, what it doesn't, what we still need to figure out, what we still need to find out. Uh, Did all of these secrets make Manafort, these secrets that he was keeping, and there were many of them, uh, did that make him vulnerable to being compromised by foreign agents, whether from Ukraine or Russia or anywhere else. Yes, it absolutely did make him vulnerable to that. Was he compromised? Was he bribed in some fashion? Uh, Was something asked of him? Uh, Well, if so, there's nothing in the indictment documents today to spell that out. He was, yes, incredibly vulnerable to that. Was he compromised? Well, we don't know. Those 12, that 12 count indictment from Mueller's office does not argue as much, at least as of now. But you can't lie about your income to federal officials, as the indictment alleges that Manafort did over and over again on his tax forms. And you can't lie about being a foreign agent if you're going to lobby people in Congress even if being a foreign agent in and of itself is not unlawful. The uh, Papadopoulos indictment and the uh, guilty plea, however, is a bit closer, at least, to the uh, charge of collusion, at least as Democrats see it. They put out a statement saying a member of President Trump's campaign has now pled guilty to lying about the campaign's contacts with Russia and admitted to have been told that the Russians had, quote, thousands of emails that could damage Hillary Clinton well before it became public knowledge that this was true. We now know that the Trump uh, Trump team was approached multiple times with information about the Russian campaign to damage Hillary Clinton. And in each case, they appear to have welcomed the help that, according to a statement from the Democrats who went on to say from the DNC, who went on to say Trump can no longer claim there is no evidence of collusion between his campaign and Russia. Congress must commit to protecting this investigation because we cannot trust the president of the United States that from the DNC. So uh, others are covering the hell out of this today, and we will no doubt in the future. But for now, them's the facts uh, for my part, uh, what it brings to mind 
setting aside any allegations of uh, coordination or collusion, as the Democrats like to call it, uh, is just how woefully inept and unfit Donald Trump is for the job that he now has. He says he hires the best people. Remember that? But apparently he did zero vetting for anyone on the campaign or in his uh, actual administration. Uh, see Mike Flynn, who lied about his contacts, uh, contracts with foreign agents as well. And his son-in-law, who lied about meetings with uh, foreign agents. And his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, who said he didn't meet any Russians. It turned out he met with Russians. No matter what you think about those things, you can't lie about them. It makes you open to compromise. And that Trump apparently did no vetting at all, uh, at the very least. Uh, he's guilty of being a bad president in that regard. He could blame whoever was in charge of vetting administration hires, but that would be Vice President Mike Pence, who oversaw the transition. And I haven't noticed Trump forcing the uh, resignation of Mike Pence as a normal president or even a normal CEO would certainly have done by now. All right. uh, A quick break. And we are back with what's going on in Georgia. We'll have a lot more on this in the days ahead, no doubt. But uh, right now, what's going on in Georgia matters as voters head to the polls once again on Tuesday. We'll explain why that's important after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The Bradcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com donate. And thank you. Georgia. Georgia. Yep, we are back to Georgia. The so much to cover today, and uh, obviously so much covering the develop. So many people covering the developments in Washington D.C. We will, of course, return to those as well. But for now, a story that we've been covering that I do not want to lose track of here because it is important. It's important, frankly, in regard to what's going on in Washington D.C. It's important to voters next week. In the state of Georgia, where they will be holding uh, uh, municipal elections in Atlanta and elsewhere. So, okay, let me start here. If you've been following along uh, on the broadcast, you know that late uh, last week we covered the shocking, I would say, blockbuster news, frankly, as reported by the Associated Press first late last week, that the state of Georgia wiped clean. That's a direct quote. Wiped clean. Their words, uh, the servers that are used to program all of Georgia's elections, including two recent and very important elections, specifically uh, the U.S. House special election between former Georgia Republican Secretary of State Karen Handel and Democrat John Ossoff. That was to fill the uh, vacant seat left behind by Uh, Donald Trump's Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price, who has since resigned in disgrace. But they had that special election back in June. uh, And the Democrat there, John Ossoff, looked to have a very good chance of winning that U.S. House seat right up until the election results from Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting systems 
were revealed on election night. The other recent election of note that uh, might have had evidence of manipulation by either outside hackers or insiders with access or even just error by those insider programmers. That other election was last year's presidential election in the state of Georgia, which at one point was thought potentially uh, able to swing towards Democrats for the first time in many years. That did not happen. Donald Trump won that state, much as the uh, Republican former Secretary of State Karen Handel won her race in the uh, U.S. House special election in June of this year. The destruction of the election server in question and its two backups at uh, both at Kennesaw State University's Center for Elections, uh, which has been contracted for some 15 years to program all of Georgia's elections. The destruction of that server is made all the more disturbing by the fact that it happened just days after a lawsuit had been filed challenging the results of that uh, election in Georgia's 6th Congressional District, that June special House election. Uh, now said to have been won by the Republican, despite the group of bipartisan plaintiffs in this case notifying the state of Georgia to retain all such documents and information for discovery in that lawsuit following that U.S. House special election. One of those plaintiffs, the Coalition for Good Governance, led by Republican Marilyn Marks, uh, she had joined us to talk about the suit that was filed back in July, just days before, unbeknownst to her at the time, the Center for Elections at Kennesaw State University was preparing to wipe those servers clean, including, as we now know from internal emails obtained by, uh, by Marx via FOIA requests, quote, degaussing those servers with big industrial magnets three times. That was done just uh, days later after the lawsuit had been filed. Georgia's Secretary of State claims to be outraged that this happened, says he did not know that Kennesaw State had done any of this. But that may be difficult to believe, given that the FBI had been called in back in March of this past year, just before the June special election, to investigate the fact that a data security researcher by the name of Logan Lamb had informed Kennesaw's Center for Elections that the entire election server in question, including names and birth dates of some six and a half million Georgia voters, as well as the actual ballot programming files for the upcoming elections and the administrative passwords to the voting and tabulation systems, all of that was just sitting there completely unprotected on the Internet for the election server in question, and that data had been sitting there for at least six months um, before anybody did anything about it in uh, in March of this year. So Logan Lamb, I think, first contacted them back in August of 2016, last year, well before the, or at least a couple of months before the presidential election. And then six months later, in March of 20, uh, 2017, that information was still found to be online. And vulnerable to anyone. I mentioned last week that we had hoped to get the plaintiff from uh, Coalition for Good Governance, Marilyn Marks, who filed that lawsuit, which apparently led to the destruction of this data. Uh, we had hoped to have her back on the show, but she was suffering from laryngitis at the time. Sadly, though she sounded much better today when I spoke with her, she is still not in, uh, in a good enough place for radio, I'm afraid. But we do hope to have her on soon. I also, last week, mentioned Garland Favorito, co-founder of the 
Georgia Voting Systems Watchdog Group VoterGA.org, which just over a week ago, before all of this wiped server news broke, VoterGA had issued a new and disturbing report examining the the reported results of the special election in the 6th District in Georgia, finding that only a hack or manipulation of some sort of that main election server at Kennesaw State University's Center for Elections could explain the anomalous results reported on June 20 in the special house election, which uh, the Republican handle won over the Democrat Ossoff. Well, (laughs) I know it's a mess already. Uh, And all of this was run on Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable voting system. Georgia uh, Garland joins us now to discuss that report, as well as the latest developments in the new, well, in the server wipe case and the fact that the the very same vulnerable and highly hackable 100% unverifiable voting systems used in all of those questionable elections in Georgia will once again be used next week in municipal elections in Atlanta and elsewhere in the state. Elections programmed presumably by the very same folks at Kennesaw State who wiped out their election server in the middle of a lawsuit and using the same data that was left exposed on the Internet on that server. Garland Favorito is a career IT professional who, with VoterGA.org co-founder Ricardo Davis, uh, have over 70 years of total work experience in computer systems analysis, database administration, system integration, server administration, and much more. They have also been involved in analysis and implementation of Georgia's voting machines for many years, going back even prior to the statewide implementation of Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable D-Bold touchscreen voting systems way back in 2002. Garland Favorito, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Brad, thank you for having me back. You, man, that was a great summary that you just made, and you're right. We were a little bit embarrassed when we realized and we counted up all our years and found out we had 70 years between the two of us in, in, in IT. So I didn't want to make that public. But. Well, it it is now, my friend. Uh, Garland, it was, uh, uh, um, uh, thank you for yeah. uh, uh, complimenting my summary there. Did I get any key points uh, wrong in that summary, or is there anything huge that I missed in our our story so far. Brad, you covered it so beautifully like you always do. Um, the only thing that I could add to what you've already said, and that which fascinates me, is that the uh, Center for Election Systems um, and the security office there uh, made no attempt whatsoever to figure out who may have accessed that server when it was vulnerable and what might they have done. Mm. Uh, no attempt before they wiped both, as you explained, both mm-hmm. the server and the backup. And and that that is an you know an issue that has come up not just in Georgia but all over the country, where the uh, Department of Homeland Security, who claims there was this effort by uh, Russia to affect our elections this year, nonetheless they have admitted over the summer that they never bothered to actually check any of these servers, any of these voting machines, any of these computer tabulators to find out who, if anyone, accessed them. And yeah, for six months, this uh, Georgia election server was sitting up there open to the public, and apparently no one has gone back to determine who, who, if anyone, 
might have accessed it. Now, Garland, obviously, I know that Marilyn Marks, as the plaintiff in this lawsuit, and by the way, she's a Republican. I just need to keep pointing that out. I know she's very disturbed. She's very suspicious about who knew what when regarding the server and the two backups uh, that were wiped clean. So she has interest because she has a lawsuit and had hoped for a forensic investigation of that material. But as a Georgia election integrity advocate yourself and as a Georgia voter, uh, what is your greatest concern that uh, is presented here for Georgia elections overall, as you see it both in the past and in the future with this news? Yeah, great, great question, uh, Brad. And um, I also want to point out that both Ricardo and I are also uh, nonpartisan. We're members of the uh, Constitution Party. So mm -hmm. uh, we, we, this is a totally nonpartisan effort. And I guess when you get into the concerns, um, I, I guess the thing that hits me, which we've kind of known all along, is that when these machines were first put in, there were two highly questionable elections right off the bat in 2002. And uh, the what I'm looking at here is I, I, I think that the machines and the system has been compromised since day one, um, even going all the way back to when the servers were never properly certified before we had the two upsets, when Saxby Chambliss beat uh, Max Cleland and uh, um, Governor Barnes lost to um, Sonny Perdue. Mm -hmm. uh, those were two, two of the most controversial elections in the history of electronic voting. And then we have this one that we'll talk about a little bit later with Ossoff and Handel. Um, so three or four of the most controversial elections in in electronic uh, voting history have happened in Georgia. Mm -hmm. So um, I, it appears to me that this system, as near as I can tell from what we have so far, the data and uh, revealed from the Center for Election System, I think it's been wide open, not just for a few months, but for years and perhaps even since the inception that it was originally set up. So in, any number of elections could have been compromised, and even the Secretary of State now has admitted that that the server is compromised. And you make a great point, because people have been reporting this as um, six, a six-month period in which that um, <clears throat> information was available on the Internet, uh, access to passwords to the voting systems and all of that stuff. Well, that six-month number comes between essentially when it was first reported uh, to the Kennesaw State Election Center by that d data researcher Logan Lamb, and then in March of this year when it was found to be still uh, accessible. As far as we know, Garland, that information could have been sitting there on that server at Kennesaw for the past 15 years since the systems came into Georgia, correct? Well, that's exactly right, Brad, and and that is about the correct time frame. That That public web server, we believe, was set up uh, probably about, um, you know, 2004 uh, or five. so right after the machines uh, you know, were first installed. So it appears to me that it's been wide open uh, ever since then, and we've had a lot of other questionable elections, not necessarily involving Republicans and Democrats, but even in Republican primaries mm -hmm. where we have strange results. So, um, And we've never had the evidence before, as we've now been able to collect, to pursue this um, 
and try to get a, a real resolution. The degaussing of this uh, server, uh, if you go through uh, the emails, as I know you have been doing, Garland, uh, that were obtained via this lawsuit, uh, one of the uh, information security people writes to his supervisor at Kennesaw State saying, uh, confirming that he had, quote, degaussed three times the two backup election servers in early August of uh, of this year. The server, uh, the supervisor responds, that is fantastic news. Great work to all parties. That was in August, well after the lawsuit had been filed in early July uh, I know you have been an IT guy yourself for many years. What does that mean that it's been degaussed three times? Uh, well, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, well, Brad, you, I think you've explained it well about uh, using the industrial magnetic servers. And I mean, and going over it three times means you want to get every little piece of information that could possibly be on there off. And it's it, the question. Uh, it immediately comes to my mind is why you know what what was what are you worried about um, being in there because they had not identified anything uh, bad or anything that could Im- uh, impact other systems uh, on there so what what is the significance of doing that and and what is interesting there is when you sit, talked about the um, uh, response was this is fantastic news that came from the chief. Uh, information security officer of Kennesaw State, and and just to give you a little uh, idea of what this why this surprises us somewhat, we've always known that the Center for Election Systems has had a problem there at KSU because um, they operate a little bit autonomously, and they've and over the last 15 years the elections have been very very suspect, but when this first um, incident happened in March, it appeared that the Information Security Office of Kennesaw State did everything uh, right and tried to correct the problem, and they were on the, on the right side of the issue in trying to uh, rein in mm-hmm. the Center for Election Systems and, and get them to com- uh, compare to mm-hmm. and co- comply with standards that were not being complied with. However, as we found out from these new uh, releases of emails, the security office was involved with uh, the Center for Election System dating all the way back to the first um, breach that Logan uh, uh, informed them about back in August of 2016. And it was the security office and the elections, uh, Center for Election System working together from August to March to try to resolve those vulnerabilities that Logan had defined, mm-hmm. and they were unsuccessful in doing that. And so that was, so the idea that, because uh, it was, as it originally reported, it was uh, Logan Lamb had told the head of the Center for Elections, guy by the name of Merle King, who has been out uh, a great lover of these uh, 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen systems for years. He testifies in court on how great they are. They can't be hacked and, and so on and so forth. It, so originally it was reported as if he was sort of the only guy who knew about it, but now we know that all of uh, the Center for Elections seems to have known about it, or at least a lot of people, as well as Kennesaw State University itself. They're security guys. They seem to have known about it for six months, but did nothing, right? Yeah, That's exactly right, Brad. And in addition to that, the chief uh, information officer of Kennesaw State was also informed and in the loop since August. 2016. 
So we expected, as you said, that this would just be something that Merle King did not follow up on. However, the emails show that he did follow up and uh, send that to both the an information security uh, technical person and well as one of his own staff to look to look into. Um, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead Brent. Well, I, I was going to say, and then one of um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Georgia's Secretary of State. Brian Kemp, who is, after all, the chief election official in the state, he's supposed to be overseeing uh, what they do over at Kennesaw's uh, Center for Elections. He claims that he was outraged uh, by what he describes as, you know, gross incompetence, ineptitude at Kennesaw, says he didn't know anything about the servers being wiped out. Uh, despite being the state's chief election official, despite being sued in this uh, lawsuit, uh, he says he didn't know who directed the server to be destroyed. Uh, he's announced that the state will take direct control of programming Georgia's elections, I guess, next year rather than Kennesaw. Um, are, are you satisfied with Kemp's statement that he knew nothing about the server deletion until after it happened? Not at all, Brad. Uh, we have gotten false information from his office and and particularly his elections director who testified um, at the House. We had a House committee hearing here on September 22nd. But mm -hmm. just to give you an example or two, um, they have insisted that these uh, there's no risk, there's no connection to the Internet uh, for the elections and so on and so on. Well, we find out now that uh, as a result of, of these emails, we have confirmed pretty much what we've known all along that the counties are downloading the information off of this exposed vulnerable public web server in order to conduct their elections. They get their poll book data and so on from uh, by logging in to these, this vulnerable server and mm -hmm. downloading it. So whatever was put on there could have been uh, transmitted as a you know, virus or whatever down to any county that is conducting an election anywhere in the state of Georgia. And, and not just uh, the voter information, but the actual programming, uh, the definitions, uh, so-called, for the elections themselves, for the voting machines themselves, how uh, people will see it on the touchscreen uh, system and, and how the results will then be tabulated afterwards, correct? That, that information could um, be manipulated and, and then you know, on this open server and then downloaded by the counties? Uh, absolutely, Brad. Um, so there were five things that Logan uh, uncovered, and I'm going to try to remember that because every one of them is critical. The election databases that the counties use um, are placed there. Uh, executable files, as you mentioned, to create databases and so on. Uh, there were instructions there that which tell the counties how to update their county server systems. Um, there are uh, there were documents with administrative passwords on them. Um, all of this information, and in addition to just the voter registration database, all of that information, which I think is even more critical than the voter registration database, all of that was exposed and vulnerable to anyone in the world to come in and modify, create, modify, delete, or uh, update or access in any way, shape, or form using the vulnerabilities through the, the Drupal system that existed at that at that time and for some quite a bit of time. Uh, back when the uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, last year in the months uh, leading up to the presidential election, they were warning about the possible attempts to 
to hack voting and voter registration systems last year. They had offered to scan state and local systems to check for possible vulnerabilities. Uh, But uh, Georgia's Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, uh, a Republican, refused to let the government, the federal government, look at the systems, scan the systems for vulnerability, suggesting that the federal government themselves were somehow trying to hack into Georgia's elections. Garland Favorito, what do you what do you make of of that now in well, what did you make of it at the time and what do you make of it now in hindsight? Well, actually I make of it more than in hindsight now that I find out. I would assume if he's gonna make a statement uh, like that, then he would know that the Center for Election System is doing their due diligence and making those types of scans and that he didn't need their assistance. However, now we find out that no one was doing these kinds of scans. And, in fact, when the information was uncovered in, uh, in August, the director uh, there at the Center for Election Assistance... It's August, really August, August of 2016, just to keep this straight, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. August of 2016, he was uh, very resistant to doing more security uh, scans, and he even requested that... Uh, the Information Security Office to blacklist Logan Lamb and Bastille, uh, who had informed them of the vulnerabilities. Later on, he backed off on that, but that was his initial reaction. Wow. Okay, Garland, stand by. I got to take a quick break here, uh, and I want to come back and ask you about your report. Uh, charging that the results in the sixth congressional district special election cannot or should not be trusted that they had to have been manipulated in some fashion. We'll come back with Garland Favorito of VoterGA.org right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with Garland Favorito of VoterGA.org after the election servers in the state of Georgia were completely, entirely, uh, and their backups wiped out by Kennesaw State University's Center for Elections. Uh, in the middle of a lawsuit that was filed on the heels of the June 20 uh, U.S. House special election in Georgia that had a surprising ending. All right. With with all of that in mind, Garland Favorito, uh, I want to ask you now about your report, your analysis of the 6th District runoff uh, special U.S. House election that took place on on June 20. Uh, your statistical analysis of that uh, congressional sixth congressional district uh, race in June um, is is disturbing. Now, by way of a, a bit of a caveat, transparency here, I personally hate, as you know, Garland. I told you this. I hate statistical analyses of elections. The statistics can be framed in any number of ways in general to make 
you know, uh, uh, any, largely any point that someone might like to make. But generally, when it comes to elections, I'm less interested in statistics, more interested in actually counting ballots, you know, particularly when we've got hand-marked paper ballots to determine voter intent. We don't need statistics. We've got ballots. However, in Georgia, thanks to the type of 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that they use uh, for most voters, we can't go to the ballot. There is no record of voter intent independent of the computers themselves, which can be programmed to say almost anything. So I had seen your report, Garland, uh, prior to the news of the server wipe last week, but I wasn't sure how to cover it, if at all, because, you know, I don't like them. I don't like statistical analysis. Suddenly, however, as of late last week, that report is looking a lot more relevant and troubling. It's a 78-page report, I think it is, but are you able to break it down simply to its findings that you charge suggest the only way to explain the results is through manipulation? I can, Brad. I'm with you. I hate statistics, too, but I worked on this for four months, and we had a lot of help from mm-hmm. election integrity activists around the country. Uh, and I think I've grown to hate it because I kept you know, redoing and found new things and new things. But the, the, the nutshell, uh, the bottom line of it is that we found that it's statistically improbable that these six-district runoff results could be correct. And and if they are not correct, uh, that means that uh, there had to either be some kind of tampering or fraud involved. And we were able to rule out that there was no localized fraud or tampering because there was no single precinct that stuck out or, or single county. Mm-hmm. So there appeared to be a, a consistent uh, a hack that came across um all three of the counties involved in that sixth district runoff, which was Fulton, DeKalb, and Cobb. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, um, the way that we learned about that was comparing the verifiable voting with the unverifiable voting. And just to give you one example mm-hmm. uh, that kind of triggered our, our knowledge was, and our, our desire to go into this deeper, um, Ossoff had won the verifiable mail-in voting by uh, a 64 30% landslide margin. That was then. That was the Democrat. Just to underscore, for, that that was the Democrat in the race. He wins mm-hmm. 64 to 36 on paper mail-in voting. Over the he re- defeats the Republican essentially two to one in the on the only ballots that are actually verifiable by human beings. The the mail-in absentee ballots, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, uh, Brad. And so what? So we were wondering why would there be such a huge discrepancy since the results favored uh, handle the unverifiable results by a couple of points. And so the natural assumption we would make there was to uh, to figure well maybe all the Democrats voted by mail. Uh, well, we found out. Uh, as we got into the statistics, that that wasn't true at all. I mean, historically, re- more Republicans have voted by mail. The Republicans had a great uh, campaign uh, ballot access, uh, I'm sorry, mail-in uh, ballot campaign. Mm-hmm. And what we found out is, even though Ossoff won 64-36 in mail-in, the Republicans had a 61-39% turnout advantage. So either that was on the were the ones that we could affiliate. And you, so when you say was, when you say had they had a turnout advantage, you're talking about via the the mail in the paper ballot mail in votes. Yes, the 
paper ballot mail-in votes. They had a, a, a party affiliation. We, we tried to affiliate the voters to their, uh, based on their past preferences. So more Republicans turned out almost, uh, well, verging on two to one, more Republicans turned out in that mail-in paper ballots, and yet the Democrats still won two to one in those verifiable mail-in ballots. That's right. So of the ones that we could affiliate, which was about a third of the, of the uh-huh. total mail-in, it was a 61-39% vote, so 50% more Republicans or Republican-leaning voters, mm-hmm. let's call it that, those who had had a history of voting Republican in the past and not Democrat. So uh, there was either a massive amount of crossover votes or Ossoff got a massive amount of the unaffiliated votes, people mm-hmm. who had no voting history. I see. So in, in the district, so he ends up doing well in the votes that are verifiable, even with a Republican advantage among the people who cast votes. Uh, does well there on the paper votes, but then on the early voting, which is done via those uh, touchscreen, unverifiable touchscreen systems as well, and on election day voting on those touchscreen unverifiable voting systems, for some reason, the Republican uh, candidate handle ends up winning enough to overcome that huge uh, two-to-one advantage that the Democrat had in verifiable votes. That's exactly right, Brad. And so what we started, we looked at both of those categories in depth. And originally, the election day votes seemed to be very suspicious because um, uh, Handel had had racked up about a 16-point victory there. But as we got into the the depth of the the statistics, we found out that, well, the Republicans had an 80% turnout on election day, and those lined up pretty well with the mail-in votes in terms of you know what the results were reporting by the unverifiable voting equipment. Mm-hmm. However, when we looked at early voting, that's where we found a significant discrepancy. Where uh, even though there was a heavy Republican turnout, the the voting machines were under-reporting. Uh, significantly for Ossoff and over-reporting for Handel based on the party affiliation. Mm. And if you, if you work all that out so that they balance out to the, if early voting balanced out to election day and mm-hmm. mail-in statistics like they should, then it appears that about somewhere between eight to 12,000 votes were shifted or swapped. From uh, from Ossoff to Handel, and that would have been enough to give the election to Handel over Ossoff. That that, that uh, shift of most, votes. Yeah, most likely the election was decided by about nine thousand. Right. So so and we're and it appears to us that between eight and twelve were shifted. So we can't. Uh, you know, you could argue that maybe this did not. Uh, uh, caused the election to to switch, but it appears that it did, and it's more likely that the hack occurred. I think it'd be uh, it'd be harder to argue uh, uh, against the hack occurring. I'm, we're anxious mm-hmm. to see what the Secretary of State's going to say. Uh, you know, as to how this is all just a coincidence or what. So um, we have called on him to say, "Hey, show us what's wrong with these statistics, and show us why this was not a hack." And why it uh, is, you know, the election was legitimate. And and more importantly, perhaps because, uh, and that's you know, one of the reasons I hate statistical reports like that is because 
essentially, it's just a guessing game. At the end of the day, uh, we either have to check the ballots, which we don't have here other than those uh, absentee uh, mail-in ballots, which went to the Democrat, uh, or some sort of examination of the machine to try to figure out the, you know, if there was some form of manipulation. But that machine, that programming, that is what has been now wiped out by Kennesaw State University. So even if we wanted to try to confirm your numbers in some fashion, your report is also now unconfirmable either way because the server was wiped out. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, Brad. Uh, unless we, they, they can require, acquire an image from the FBI, which, which took an image of it, or we can get the appropriate data from the counties, uh, we can. We are not able to make any determination on that. We're still trying to make sure we got the data from the counties. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the counties actually called me while we're doing the interview here. But um, so that that might be two alternatives where we could probably prove it. But there's going to be resistance and to us getting access to this information to even determine whether or not it's legitimate. Uh, elections should not be this hard. There's no need for them to be this hard. We can, you know, people can fill out ballots uh, with a pen and the public can oversee the, the, the tallying of those results. This is insane. Garland, I've got just a minute here at, at best, but these very same election systems next week uh, in Georgia are going to be used in municipal elections in Atlanta. I, I believe they're going to be run on the very same systems. Who programmed those? And if Kennesaw State uh, deleted their election server, what did they use for the programming for these upcoming local elections next Tuesday in Atlanta? Well, they, uh, Brad, they recreated the server, and they're continuing to do the same processes that they did before, but they have just wiped out the data that was on the previous process, uh, previous servers. So everything is continuing as normal, even though the Secretary of State, you know, we've heard they reported that they're they're moving the contract or or they're going to bring that in house. Mm -hmm. None of that is happening uh, until next year, and that's it's questionable whether the Secretary of State's office could even uh, handle uh, what KSU is doing now. So the bottom line, as you're getting to, Brad, is that the, the municipal elections are going to be conducted just like they are, uh, have been in the past, and they're just as vulnerable uh, next week as they uh, have been for the last 15 years. Just as vulnerable and just as unverifiable. Garland Favorito, uh, we will uh, post a link to your report about the Georgia 6th election, uh, and I suspect we'll be talking in the days and weeks ahead as we learn more on this. Hope to talk to Marilyn Marks about what she is discovering via that lawsuit. Because uh, this is just, yeah. it blows my mind. It seems like it should blow everyone's mind. Uh, you can get more information and the report itself at VoterGA.org. Garland Favorito, really appreciate you joining us once again here today on the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. And Marilyn's interview is going to be great later on in the week. So I'll, uh sure the audience will be interested in that. I'm looking forward to it if she uh, gets her voice back soon. Hey, thank you, brother. We'll talk again soon, Garland. You, you too, Brad. Bye Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. My thanks, as ever, 
to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Until we meet again, yes, tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 